Welcome to The Corporate Coven, a podcast that explores the intersection of mysticism and the modern workplace. On this show, we discuss how to bring your spiritual craft and practice into the workplace. We'll talk to people who have found ways to include ritual and spirituality into their everyday work and hear from experts on the topics of how to stay spiritually connected while managing the demands of the modern workplace. Our host, Jessica, is a certified career counselor, HR outlaw, and vocational astrologer. If you've ever wondered how to bring your spiritual practice into the workplace, this podcast is for you. Join us as we radically transform workplaces to be a little more magical. What's up, witches? Welcome back to another episode at the Corporate Coven Podcast. In today's episode, I want to really ground us back into career acumen. You know that I am a professional astrologer and I specialize in vocational astrology. And vocation is your work. It's your career. It's how you explore your sense of calling in this lifetime. It's how you express your creativity. It's where you find opportunities to create values and find yourself in service to other people and to broader communities. And yes, I am an astrologer and that's absolutely a big part of how I show up in my business. And I want to spend today really taking us back into my roots, which is career. Like I did career first and then I did astrology. Some of you who have been longtime listeners of the podcast and have been connected with me really early on in my business, you kind of know a little bit of my origin story. But for anyone new or who maybe hasn't heard this yet, this is where sometimes I think I'm saying the same thing over, but maybe maybe I have a misconception about that. You know, I started working and earning money for myself at a very young age. I'm one of those true Capricorn energy type people. And I think that my earliest paid gig, I was 11 and it was babysitting, of course. But then I started working at a snow cone shack when I was 13 and I was like receiving actual paychecks and I had a W-2 at the end of the year. Um, I opened up my own bank account in like early teens. Like, you know, my mom was a co-signer. I still have that account open actually. And it was really important to me to work and to be career driven and career focused. It's always been something that I've been very curious about. It's been something that I'm very passionate about. And even before I knew that career was going to be what I specialized in, there were clues, <laughs> you know, but there were clues along the way that if I would have known and if I would have been paying attention or if I would have had someone to mentor me and to coach me, it would have been really obvious that this was where life was going to take me in my own vocational exploration. And it really started, you know, in childhood with just that curiosity. But one of the first real formal introductions to the world of work, less in a participatory lens, but in more of a conceptual, like observation, like theoretical approach was when I was in middle school and I was taking a computer class. Um, 
and this was like, you know, we were beyond like learning how to type and, and stuff like that. This was more into like, how do you use Microsoft Word? How do you use Microsoft Excel? This is like, I think it was eighth grade. Um, I can like see the classroom. I'm, I'm cl- you can't see me because it's podcasting and not video, but I'm like closing my eyes and I can clearly see my teacher with her sh- shoulder length, blonde hair, standing at the front of the classroom and, um, you know, computers lining the wall. So the center of it was open so she could walk around and like check over our shoulders and help us and learning how to write a resume in Microsoft Word, learning how to use the template to write the resume. And this was the this was a really pivotal moment for me because there was a lot of things I learned how to do in this class. It was not a career class. It was just how do you use Microsoft applications as an eighth grader. But the idea of writing a resume was so exciting to me. I literally do not remember anything else that I learned in that classroom. I don't have any other memory of being in that classroom with that teacher. And I don't remember a lot of, you know, grade school and middle school and and things like that. But I remember learning how to write a resume and just thinking like, oh, this is such an important thing for me to know and getting really excited about it. Like I was really like there was a spark for me in that moment of this is a cool thing that I want to know how to do and I want to do really well. So when I moved into high school where I grew up, you know, eighth grade was still part of middle school. And then ninth grade, you were officially in high school and you stayed there for the next four years until you graduated. And being wickedly extroverted, I was immediately looking for extracurricular clubs to join and to participate in. And I had the benefit of going to a small high school. So there was a ton that was accessible to me. And I had the privilege of being involved in a lot of different organizations to various capacities. I was an athlete. I was in student government. um, But I was also very much enmeshed in more like academic type clubs. You know, I did debate in high school. Um, I was, you know, I was a part of a lot of different things, but one of the ones that I joined was future business leaders of America. And I became really, really passionate about being part of this organization. And actually my senior year, it was the president of this school club. And I was my school's representative in, um, the Sterling scholar scholarship, if any of you are familiar with that. And I represented like the business function. And I got really, really excited about it. I had this fantasy of being a businesswoman in my suit with my blazer and my stilettos. It was very Devil Wears Prada type vibe. Like I wanted to be Miranda Priestly. And, um, you know, I just, I had this vision of myself in this really powerful seat and having just really clear and strong business acumen. And I loved being part of this organization. And my freshman year, one of the activities that you could compete in was resume writing and job interviewing. So I would write a resume and you didn't really know what the job was. You just had to write your resume and just assume that you were applying for some type of like general position that they might hire a high schooler for. And they were looking at good technical skills. They were looking at clarity of speech. They were looking at, you know, how well are you marketing and selling yourself and, and conveying how clearly you can do this. And I don't remember if I, I think I placed as a freshman. Um, I don't remember like winning any like major awards or anything. I wasn't a savant. Okay. Like I wasn't a resume savant where we, whatever, I don't even know that that exists. But it was one of those things that I was like, oh, I love this. 
ooh, I love this type of competition. I love this type of skill set. I love being in this environment. Same with like job interviewing. I had no idea like what they were hiring me for. It was just a matter of like, can you go in and can you answer interview questions? And again, like, can you market and like sell yourself? Um, and I just became obsessed with it. I found so much joy and so that really catapulted me into continuing to engage in job search and career development type activities. It really started like really, really young, but formally began around like that eighth grade freshman year. And then it's taken me into a lot of different opportunities, Um, you know, studying in undergrad, moving into my master's program, finding the types of work tasks and environments that I like to be in professionally, Um, You know, I've always found myself in more of like a consulting role with advising my direct reports or my peers or my friends on just like what to do in their careers, helping them with job search. Even before I had formal training around any of this, this is just naturally what I found myself wanting to do and feeling lit up and alive in these conversations. And that's now in my business. It's rooted in career. It's rooted in vocational exploration and professional development. And one of the mediums that I use to support people is astrology. Another medium that I use is tarot. Another medium that I use is mindfulness and positive psychology and human resources acumen. Like I have a lot of different tools in my tool belt, but ultimately everything that I do is centered towards helping people become fulfilled and finding alignment and satisfaction and contentment in their career and their vocation. And so that's what I want to do on today's episode. I might mention astrology. You know, sometimes I just can't help it. It just like falls out of me. But what I'm really talking about today is your career. And I want to kind of illuminate you. Like there's a lot of things like I have people sliding into my DMs all the time and I have people reaching out and I've worked with clients for years now. I've been studying this for a long time now. I have a lot of friends and family that confide in me some of the challenges that they experience professionally. And so in this episode, what I'm going to do is I'm going to identify the five most common mistakes I see people making in their career in the sense that like these are mistakes that hold you back and if you don't address it early on it will create a really nasty habit and therefore a cycle that you'll continue spiraling through and feeling like you're stuck on a roller coaster or like a merry-go-round and never actually able to step off and move into um you know a new way of living a new way of working a new way of developing a relationship to your career and vocation So I'm going to outline the five mistakes that are most common and that you're probably making in your career. And I'm also going to give you some feedback on what to do if one or all five of these mistakes is really sentient to you. If one is like right at the forefront of your mind and you're like, oh, shit, this one's me. This is my problem. I'm doing this. Like, what do I do now? So are you ready? Are you ready to come along with me? I'm going to list them out one through five, and then I'm going to go through them in a little bit more depth. So the top five mistakes that you're probably making in your career. Mistake number one, you're waiting for your employer to give you financial security. Number two, you're expecting your employer to offer you professional development. Number three, 
Number three, you're waiting to look for a new role and opportunity until you're miserable in your current one. Number four, you are underselling your value after experiencing a career setback. Number five, you are acting like it's normal to be miserable at work. Top five mistakes I see made time and time and time again. If any of you thought I was going to say something like, you're putting an objective on your resume instead of a professional summary. You're not spending enough time on LinkedIn. No, none of that actually matters. Candidly, none of that actually matters or impacts your career in a significant enough way that you're going to find like severe misalignment in your soul's calling versus what you do vocationally in this lifetime. But these ones, these ones will set you back. They will mess with your own mindset and your psychology to the point where it will start influencing other areas of your life in really significant ways. Okay, so these are some of the most important ones and they're also some of the most common ones that if you can name them and acknowledge it and begin to move through it or past it or spend a little bit of time doing work around these, you're going to accelerate your ability to find roles and opportunities that give you that sense of fulfillment, that give you that sense of contentment that feels like, oh, this is what I'm meant to be doing with my life. This is the employer I love to work for. This is the job that pays me fairly. Like if you want that, then you need to address these five things. So let's talk about them in a little bit more depth. And just like, actually, let me just name as well that I have done all of these five things. Like even as someone who has been career obsessed my whole life, has spent a significant amount of time studying and engaging in this type of work, like I am definitely not perfect. And some of the feedback and some of the, I want to say like guidance or perspective that I'm going to be offering comes from both my best practices, career development, acumen, master's degree, uh, you know, professional certifications perspective. But a big part of this comes from my own suffering and what I've had to learn the hard way to move through some of these as well. Okay. So you're kind of getting both and. So mistake number one, waiting for your employer to give you financial security. Now, I want to be sensitive with this one. I feel very, very strongly, and I didn't necessarily order these in any way. Like, there's not a reason why this is number one and another one is, you know, number four or five. This is not rank ordered. But I will say that financial security is a really, really important reason why we go to work. It's one of the primary motivators for everyone on why we go to work in the first place. And it's a really easy, clear, like yes or no to a potential job opportunity, depending on the salary. I also want to be mindful that I'm releasing this episode during a time when a lot of people are struggling financially. There's inflation. There are just still continued layoffs and challenges in the labor force and in the job market. There's a lot of people that are experiencing financial insecurity right now. And so I want to be sensitive to that. And I don't mean to diminish how important it is for your employer to pay you fairly. I don't want to diminish that there are a lot of systemic 
barriers and challenges for people. There's a lot to do with finances that we as individuals have no control over. And so I want to be clear that when I'm about to talk about the idea of financial security being tied to your employer, I want to be sensitive that I can only speak to what you do have control over and what is within your sphere of influence. And there's truthfully just a lot that doesn't fall into that category. There's a lot that you're not responsible for. Okay. Like, so let, let's just name that before we get too much further into this. And something that one of my coaches and mentor shares, and I really appreciate and value this perspective, Captolia, um, has talked before and posted on her, you know, Instagram accounts and talked within her coaching programs that your like well-being always needs to come first. And so a lot of what we talk about in coaching spaces, and that's true for my work as well, is like ultimately you need to be fed. Like you need to be fed, you need to have a roof over your head, and that's priority number 1. Once you have your most basic and essential needs met, now we can talk about uh, other financial things, but make sure that you're always like taking care of yourself first. But let's talk about the idea of like waiting for your employer to give you financial security. So what's tricky about this one is that some of us may have been raised with the belief and it might even have been like a really huge value in your families. And this is especially true. Like I've seen from people that come from blue collar work lineages or from work and career like vocations where you earn pensions and like really handsome retirement benefits through service. There's you were like raised with the cognition that your employer is the primary way that you receive financial security. And actually a lot of this came back like I want to take us all the way back to the Great Depression. Not that I was alive then, but you know, I've done like some historical research and especially as I was looking at the Pluto in Capricorn generation, then you have to kind of go to the inverse of that, which is um Pluto in Cancer. And this was like the Great Depression era. And what you see coming out of the Great Depression is individuals that were struggling and unable to sustain their life and their families on their own. You know, crops died and people lost businesses and lost their land. And, um, you know, there was a lot of like challenges there. And so you see the development and the origin of a lot of these federal programs that people could take advantage of. And what's beneficial about that, and you see this in a lot of like Cancerian environments, is here you don't have anything, so come here and let me provide it to you. Come join our family, come join our tribe, come join our community, some of these Cancerian words, and allow me to nourish you, allow me to take care of you. But this causes an imbalance in our own autonomy. And in some regards, it gives away our sovereignty because when you are dependent on someone else to meet your needs, you lose some of this choice. Like I think a lot of us probably have this experience of growing up and mom makes dinner for the entire family and you're like, I don't want to eat this. I don't like this. This isn't within my preference. And your mom says, well, it's what's for dinner. So you can eat it or you can starve. And that's not because we had horrible mothers. It's because we had really tired, exhausted, burnt out mothers who didn't have the bandwidth or the capacity to make 18 different meals, depending on what people wanted to eat in a day, right? It's about conservation of resources and appropriate allocation of resources. I say that all the time with Cancerian energy. And so this, 
this like depression era changed the mindset of an entire collective in that now it's the norm. It's now very normal for you to rely on the federal government, for example, to help meet your most basic needs. Um, and that was really beneficial at the time. I mean, that served a lot of people. So then coming out of that, like my grandparents were kind of born and raised by parents who lived through like the Great Depression and like came out of that. Like I had the benefit of having a great grandmother who was alive um, up until a few years ago. And so I was in my 30s already, like by the time my great grandmother passed away. And so I got to have like a direct line of someone who kind of grew up with that consciousness and could see and evaluate how what my great grandmother experienced influenced how my grandfather shows up and what he values and then how that influenced my father and what his values are, and then ultimately how that impacted me and what my career values are and some of that conditioning that I try to break out through and, and be liberated from. And one of those is the idea that your employer is responsible for giving you financial security. My grandfather um, was in the Air Force, right? Blue collar, part of a big federal organization that gave you a pension and a really comfortable retirement. That value system was passed down to my father who worked in law enforcement, again, blue collar working for a federal, like federally regulated organization that offered really handsome pension. Um, and then it came to me and what a weird duck I am for not being involved in blue collar work for not valuing careers, which satisfy retirement values that were held in these previous generations and this legacy that I was born into. I'm going to be talking with Lex again um, on the podcast about ancestry and how that impacts your career decisions. So if this is a topic that's interesting to you, you have that to look forward to. Make sure that you're turning on notifications and that you're subscribing to my podcast so you don't miss those episodes. And you can also connect with me on social media so you can get notified that way as well. But like our ancestry is a big part of this one. And when we expect our employer to give us financial security, this goes into a lot of those Cancerian things where we are now giving away some of our independence. We're giving away some of our sovereignty. And that's ultimately because we're giving away some of our choice when we, when we have this expectation that a governing body outside of ourselves is responsible for giving us this sense of financial security. And honestly, this is a really easy mistake to make. Number one, because we're not totally cognizant that we have this bias. We're not always completely aware that this is a belief system that we inherited. It's so commonplace because it's what our parents did. Like I remember even talking to my dad when I was getting ready to make a big career change. I was at a director level position. I was very handsomely compensated regarding like the level of work that I actually did for the organization. I had really sexy retirement benefits team. They paid for a lot of my health insurance premiums. They had a really great 401k match. And I was just like set up in a really comfortable like financial situation with this organization. And ultimately my decision to move was because I wanted to be in positions where I was um, more challenged. I wanted to be in a bigger organization. I wanted a different industry and I wanted different like benefits. And Initially, I took a pay cut when I made the change and the employer that I moved to doesn't have nearly as good of a 401k match program. They don't have nearly as good of an HSA match program. 
Um, you know, I pay more in health insurance now. Um, and I remember talking with my dad at the time of like needing to make the decision and having the job offer in front of me. And when I was, you know, just talking to him about it, I don't think I asked him what he would do, but I was just confiding in like, this is kind of a big change that I'm moving through. And this is like a consideration that I have. And he said, I wouldn't do it. And I was like, why, why, why not dad? <laughs> like, why wouldn't you do this? And he said, it just seems unstable. You know, you're part of this organization. You're part of this industry. Here's what I know about it. Here's what you've shared with me about like, you know, your financial situation over here. There's a lot of unknowns. Like I wouldn't do that, but I was aware I had done the work. I had done the career ancestry. I had done a lot of these different things. So it was easy for me to hear that and acknowledge, oh, this is your value system, but this isn't aligned with my value system. And I don't actually believe that your employer can give you financial security because your job is not guaranteed. Right? So Again, this is a really easy mistake to make because we're just probably not aware of it, but also it is human nature to want to feel safe and secure. It's the voice of caution to not take risks, you know, stay put, be loyal, put in your time and you're going to be rewarded. But, you know, it's becoming less and less likely that people will work for only one company in their entire career. There is so much data out there that people who change careers end up making more money and accelerate their earnings faster than their peers who stayed longer at organizations. So we know that there's value to making a change and finding new challenges, but you might avoid this. You might avoid saying yes to something new. You might avoid making big changes in your career. And a lot of it comes down to the fear that we feel of what could change, especially because changes to our finances impacts so much of our life. And this is, again, this is why this is like a big mistake that we make because it impacts every other part of our chart and every other part of our life, especially if you're someone who's like me, I'm the primary income earner for my family. And so when I make decisions in my career that changes my financial income, and my sense of financial security, this is impacting my children's opportunity to do extracurriculars or to have access to certain things. This is impacting my partner and the way that we make decisions together as a family. So I get why this is such an easy and obvious thing. And I've made the mistake of overemphasizing my employer's responsibility to take care of me financially. And again, this is not the same thing as expecting your employer to pay you fairly for your work. That's a totally different conversation. And we can talk about that with pay transparency while the lunar nodes were in Taurus and Scorpio. But for this episode, this expectation that your employer has to meet all of your financial needs. Okay. This is outdated and we need to change this mindset because the truth is, is that your financial well-being is not synonymous with your annual salary or your net worth. It's not the amount of money that you earn. It's not that that's not important. Of course it's important, but money is money is really like our responsibility. And this is where working in human resources and I've worked in organizations where I helped analyze compensation data where we took an analysis of all of our job ranges and our employees and how much they were making and what the total spend on employees is and then evaluating that with different surveys who look at you know comp data based on your industry based on your region based on your company size and things like that to just make sure that you know 
how close are we competing with the market? Some organizations take the philosophy of we want to lag the market. Some people want to lead the market. Some people just want to stay status quo with it. But it's so volatile because like employers don't pay you based on inflation. They don't pay you based on the economy. They pay you based on like the value of the work that you're doing as it's compared with their peers and their competitors in the same regional location. And so pay is a really delicate and interesting thing when you look at it from the lens of human resources. So this isn't about like making sure that you're paid fairly because that's again like a whole other conversation, but it's this idea that like you're responsible for managing your wealth. When we do employee surveys and employees are just saying like pay me more, it's like well we don't really know like what that means. Like are you not making enough money because you don't know how to manage your debt? Are you not making enough money because you have a larger than average size family and you have a lot more mouths to feed than someone else who is in your exact same role making the exact same annual salary and doesn't have children like there is so much that goes into the way that we make decisions with our finances that impacts our sense of financial security and that's why like it really has little to do it's not that it has nothing to do but it has little to do with your actual salary it's not how much money you earn it's how much money you keep right and we want to, I want to like name that with employers being responsible for paying employees fairly, this is why you see organizations like the Department of Labor and why HR developed the persona of like the police officer of the organization because it's our job to make sure that employers are held accountable to these decisions. And so um, your employer needs to be held accountable to that, right? But they can't give you a sense of financial security or a sense of financial peace. And the other reason is that no job is 100% safe or stable, not even CEOs. I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs that are displaced and taken out of the company that they founded for a myriad of reasons. So even if you are the head of your business, your job is not 100% safe and stable, which is why, again, you're responsible for taking accountability for your financial well-being. And you can learn more about your personal relationship to wealth and money management, as well as how to monetize your business using astrology. You can start by looking at the zodiac sign and rulers for your second and eighth houses for your individual birth chart, but also for your business chart as well. You can look at your part of fortune. You can look at where Jupiter is in the chart. You can look at Venus in the chart. There's a lot of different indicators and clues that you can look at using astrology, but you can also work with financial advisors. You can work with, there's actually, um, there's a lot of like witchy service providers that work in financial astrology. And I'm starting to like learn a little bit about it, but I am in by no means like a specialist here. But I just want to like name this again, mistake number one that most people make in their career is that they're just waiting for their employer to give them a sense of financial security, but you're going to be waiting for a long time. It's not going to come from your employer. And if you think you have that now from your employer, I encourage you to reevaluate this. And this is a great time to do it during the Venus retrograde. Reevaluate this because um, it's not your employer's responsibility and absolutely nothing in the world of work is carved out in stone or guaranteed. And we need to condition this while pluto is retrograde back through uh capricorn 
which again is the polar sign to Pluto and Cancer, which is where we developed a lot of this belief that we can rely on the federal government. We can rely on the centralized banking system. We can rely on our neighbors. We can rely on all these people. Like it's other people's job to take care of us and to nurture us. And we have this imbalanced relationship. Pluto and Capricorn is I need to sustain this for myself. I need to evaluate the systems that I have in place that help sustain my life. And I need to determine whether or not this is a worthwhile system or if we need to take it back down and transform this relationship. But Capricorn has this streak of independence and this need to be self-sustaining. And that's really the medicine that we're trying to learn and trying to like reintegrate and revisit during this Pluto retrograde cycle. Okay. Let's talk about mistake number two. You're waiting and expecting your employer to offer you professional development. Now, here's why this is a problem. And I've heard this and I have felt this, but I've definitely heard this from people. They get so mad and jaded when their employer isn't paying for them to attend professional conferences, when they're not paying their like tuition reimbursement. And again, I have made this mistake. <laughs> this has been me once upon a time where I felt like, and I think it's because I am like a very traditional, um, sorry, I just moved my standing desk. That might've been loud. I didn't think about that, but I have been like a traditional student for a long time. I love formal education. I love formal development. This is why I have 16 letters after my name. I love professional certifications and tests and stuff like that. This is well within my preference. And so for me personally, I had this bias that if I was going to do professional development, then it had to be through a formal program or educational system that I needed a certificate at the end of it. And I kind of felt like, well, this is my employer's job to invest in me. If they want me to be good at my job, then they should be paying for me to do these things. And they have way more budget than I do. And so if they want to retain me, this is their this is their job. They should value this. I'm expecting this. And this is also because I worked in high tech for such a long time. And so again, the value system is different in different industries that you work in. I tend to prefer work environments that have a strong preference for innovation and for continual improvement. But you can't wait for it to come from your employer. And this, I think, is going to come up pretty significantly while the North Node is in Aries. And it's about being self-led. It's about being self-motivated. And it's about recognizing that you're in competition with absolutely no one else but yourself. And it's about making sure that you are better today than you were yesterday. And again, this has to come from you if you're waiting for it to come from your employer and again like if you if you do have an employer where they offer this stuff hell yeah go take advantage of that go sign up for all of the things they have a linkedin learning profile go take it they have like free training you can do go take it you know like it's it's not that there's no expectation or no accountability from your employer again but the point is is don't wait for it be an active player in your life take an active role in guiding your professional development. A massive criticism that I hear about higher education is that you're forced to take so many electives. You're forced to take so many general education credits. And this idea that people just want to be able to go and study what they want. Well, good news team, we're here. We're living in that. Employers are starting to reprioritize the value that they placed on advanced degrees and they're 
placing a lot more weight on just technical certifications, on experiential, on-the-job learning. They don't have to pay you as much when you don't have a degree. Um, so employers love this, but this is also just like a value shift. Um, you know, it's that idea from the Incredibles, like when everyone's special, no one is. Well, when everyone has an undergraduate degree, it kind of loses its value. Like scarcity creates a sense of like importance and value, right? But it's so commonplace now. So many people have this. And so in the age of Aquarius, what we really care about is the legacy of learning. And we care about the, um, you know, like who are your mentors? Who are the people that you worked under? How did you apply this in the work setting? You know, show me the value that you created for your organization, for your employees. And that's more of a value now than some of the, you know, degrees that you have or the school that you went to. And this won't be true across the board. And we're also at the very beginning of the age of Aquarius. And so some of this is like continuing to shift in the mindset. But, you know, I, I want to encourage and empower all of you to take on your own professional development. Your career is your responsibility. And you need to have some direction. You need to know where you want to go. And your midheaven is really helpful in this aspect. It gives you the big picture and it lets you like project into the future quite a bit. I just, I just lost my train of thought. I have all of these um, pictures and phrases that I cut out of magazines because I'm creating like an Oracle card for my business which I can talk about in another podcast episode. If you guys are interested, I like creating my own Oracle cards. But one of the big words that's in front of me is the word future. And so then when I said it, it kind of like threw me off my game here. But, you know, you need to be able to look into your future and identify like at the end of your life, what do you need to do to feel like you lived it to the fullest and like you were really able to take advantage of it? Your employer doesn't know those things and your employer doesn't prioritize those things and they don't need to. If you're like me, you work at a company with like 20,000 employees. There's no way, it's not realistic for me to expect them to do that. Now, my leader definitely has an interest in my professional development, but I still need to come forward and guide those conversations, and you do as well. And if you work for a company that doesn't have budget for it, they don't have it in their value system, you need to own your own development. You need to own your own engagement. And you need to be the leader in identifying and seeking out those opportunities to develop yourself professionally. And sometimes this is upskilling and your technical skills. Sometimes this is going back to school. Sometimes it's about making lateral moves and um, focusing on like a different body of work. Sometimes it's just about getting enough cycles through doing the same type of work um, so you can experience mastery in it and you can watch your growth through it. So whatever it looks like for you, own that, drive that. Stop waiting for your boss to start the conversation. Stop waiting for your company to come forward and say that they have budget for it. You need to be the person steering the ship and guiding it. And again, I love looking to the midheaven as well as the midheaven ruler. And I might also bring in a little bit of that north node energy for this as well. If you want to know like what does professional development look like for you in terms of how it gets you to the fullest expression of your vocational calling. Okay. 
Mistake number three, waiting to look for a new role until you're miserable in your current one. And this, this one right here is probably where like some of my most, like, let me, let me reframe that. Not some of my most, but like of all the content that I create, the ones that have gone like viral or the ones where just a ton of people have really like interacted with it, saved it, shared it with other people, reposted it into their stories, commented on it and chose to reach out with me because of this comes from this perspective of like, it's, uh, it's inappropriate to wait until you're unhappy to move into a new job. It's interesting too. And I didn't realize this until I really started looking at like business astrology, but in my own natal chart, I have Chiron in the sixth house. And so again, like this idea of like the wounding that we experience at work and the misery and the suffering that can come with it. But in my business's natal chart, the ruler of my business's chart um, is conjunct Chiron as well in the 10th. And so Chiron and this idea of like misery in career or misery at work is just, it's funny how it comes up and it's really reflected. And like, those are the moments where I'm like most aligned with the expression of my business's chart and a little bit of like my own chart as well is when I talk about like, Hey y'all, we got trauma at work. We are crying at our desks. We are no longer feeding ourselves because we're so unhappy. So this is usually like, we don't start looking for a new job until we feel sad. And that's not the way to do it. But so many of us do it because that's like, you know, why fix what isn't broken? I'm really happy here. Why would I leave? Um, But you really need to start looking for your new role when you're happy. You need to start thinking about what you want to do next when you're in excellence. Uh, There's a few reasons for this. Number one is your energy. It's your vibrational pattern. It's what you emit out into the world. It's a lot harder to manifest and to bring into your reality an energy or an environment that you're not already a part of, right? Um, so if you are unhappy, and I've talked about this previously in a previous episode about breaking cycles at work, we get stuck in these cycles and these vibrational patterns. And that's why they keep coming up into our awareness. And this is again, like when you can really take this one on and really do well with it, this is going to completely change your career trajectory. Um, I'm going to use like a personal example really quick. So I was in a role at a company where I was really unhappy. And part of what was contributing to my misery and my dissatisfaction is that I didn't trust my coworkers. I didn't feel like I had psychological safety with them. I was in an environment that was very gossipy and I found that I was a confidant for a lot of people, but then I ended up having a lot of this information that I didn't know what to do with. And I didn't know where my loyalties lied. On one hand, it was like, well, I need to talk to my boss about this. But on the other hand, like that could cause a big storm and then my coworkers won't trust me but like, what do I do? Like, what do I do? Who does human resources go to when human resources is the toxic department, right? And that's kind of like what my experience was. And so I was just so miserable. I also was really, really unhappy with my living situation. Um, I found a lot of dissatisfaction in my friend community at that time. I didn't really feel like I had a big community. Um, And there was just like a lot of like really hard things that I was going through. And I remember being approached 
by like a CEO of a company that they were like, you know, wow, I'd like, I'd love to get you over here. Like, I'd love to like, you know, like get you back in like this environment. Like, what do you need to be back into like this state? And I said, I honestly just need a job that pays me this much money and is in this state. And that's like literally the only criteria that I need. And I got that. I got offered a job that met my salary requirements in the state where I wanted to live. But what did I find? I move into a brand new employee, like employment opportunity, totally different industry, totally different state, completely new people that I'd never worked with before. And I found myself in an environment that was very gossipy. I found it really difficult to identify where my loyalties lied. I had a really hard time identifying who was the appropriate parties to share this information with. And I didn't have any trust or psychological safety with anybody that I worked with. Because I was in a really shitty vibrational pattern, even when I made a move, because I made it out of misery, I moved back into misery. The next time that I made a career move, I was still really, really miserable. I was still very, very unhappy. But I was in therapy. That that honestly made the difference for this next transition. Um, I was in therapy every single week. I went on a weekly basis for like four months or something like that. And then I started moving to like a bi-weekly and then I moved to a monthly and I like slowly eased my way like out of seeing this mental health provider. Um, but it was really hard to move and to try to like be optimistic and to try to not make decisions in my career out of that like devastation out of this feeling of like anything but this i will literally work like anywhere but this like please just get me out of the situation all i need is this salary and a new job because it's not enough and so what i can tell you now my experience has been i'm in the same role but i have found such joy i have found such relief i have found such contentment and fulfillment And while I've been very, very happy, while I have been in this energetic frequency of just like, I'm so aligned with my soul purpose right now, like I am so impressed with what I've been able to achieve in this new position with even like less pay, less access, less opportunity, less prestige in my position. Like I am so much more fulfilled now. And the finances and everything else like has taken care of itself. Um, I started like thinking about jobs. I did. I started looking at other opportunities. I started like getting on my LinkedIn job search. And I not because I was like wanting to leave. Obviously, like I'm very, very happy. I don't want to leave. But I was like, this is the energy I want to be in in my next role. So I'm going to start looking for my next role. And some of the job titles that started coming to me that I got really excited about, I started thinking about. And you know what happened? My current employer has given me opportunities to do that type of work. My job title hasn't changed, but the scope of my role has changed. And I started being able to co-create my position with my current employer and with my leader. But it's because I'm vibrationally in that frequency, right? 
It's not because I'm special. It's not because I have a master's degree in career. It's not because I am a vocational astrologer and that somehow gives me like secret sauce that no one else knows. And now I can, you know, cast these like secret rituals and manipulate. It's not, it's not anything like that. It's just because I'm in alignment with what I want to be doing next. And what I want next is to be happy and to be content and to be aligned. And so that started coming into my awareness without even having to make a job search. But even if I was looking to leave my current employer and and totally go into something new, I'm now very, very clear on what it is. And it's not just, oh, anything but this that pays me. It's no, I need this opportunity. I need this, you know, body of work. I need this scope of my role. I need these development opportunities. And it's been easier to manifest that and to make it happen now. And so don't be like me, even though I know that you will be. And that's because this is so common. You don't want to start looking for new opportunities when you're sad. But if you are already sad, there's tons of things that you can do to start changing your mindset and start changing your energy. So that way it's easier for me. It looked like consistent therapy and team like I needed counseling some of us experience trauma at work to the extent that we need professional and licensed help. And that's okay. Right. But if you're not at that point yet, good for you. Number one, good for you. Lean into that energy, take advantage of the mindset that you're already in and start attracting these new things. But definitely don't wait until you're miserable and don't wait until you want to make a change. Like start thinking about your new role and what you want to be doing when you're in those moments of happiness and alignment because you're going to be a vibrational match to what is continued alignment in exploring your soul's calling in this lifetime. I love talking about this one. This really does mean a lot to me. And again, like I know that this is really important to you all as well because it's some of my most I don't want to use the word popular either, but that's like candidly what it is. Like some of my most popular episodes, some of my most popular TikToks, my most interacted with Instagram posts um, all come from this idea of like, we're tired of being sad at work. And one of the best ways to stop being sad at work is to work on your mindset, work on your mental health, and then find movement from the space that you're happy. One of my favorite quotes in all of my life Um, and has been a huge influence on me professionally comes from Osho. And that is, I'm going to like paraphrase it because I don't remember exactly how he said it, but it's um, don't move the way fear makes you move. Move the way joy makes you move. Move the way love makes you move. It just, it completely like transformed the way that I approached my career. Don't move the way fear makes you move. Learning to ride motorcycles growing up, I remember very clearly like my dad telling me one time that you don't want to be afraid. You're in control of the motorcycle, right? It's not taking you for a ride. You're riding it. And it's when you're afraid and when you're scared, that's when you make mistakes. And on a motorcycle, mistakes can be fatal, In your career, it's unlikely that it's fatal unless, again, like you're in like a blue collar job and um, you really are like working in hazardous work environments. And even then, again, like, you know, I was raised by a police officer and someone who worked in the military. And so mistakes at work can be fatal, not only for you, but for the people that you're trying to serve in those positions. Um, 
it's less likely that anyone listening to this podcast um, is you know going to die if if they don't do this. But like, don't move out of fear because that's when you make mistakes. That's when you um, feel like stress and it's it's harder for you to be discerning in your environment. So move the way that joy makes you move. Move the way that love makes you move, and that's going to keep you in that vibrational pattern of finding contentment and fulfillment. It made such a difference for me, and so I know that it will make it for you as well. Okay, but we do experience challenges. We do experience setbacks. And a common mistake that comes up for us after we have this experience is that we now undersell our value. I think this comes up a lot when people decide to make a career shift entirely. Like, you know, I've been working in this industry and this body of work and I am completely changing it. I want to do something totally new. But because of that newness, they now undersell their value and all of the experience that they bring to the table into this new industry and into this new work environment. And so um, this often as well looks like clients reverting back to what is familiar, even though their skills and experience are well beyond that. It's like getting laid off from a software engineer position and then getting a job in a retail store that you worked in during undergrad. These are choices that can shake your confidence and again, it's that mindset more than the change in job titles on your resume that's going to hold you back in your career. If you need money, make money. Yeah, <laughs> if you need money, make money. I'm not saying to put yourself in a difficult financial situation to save some of your pride. I'm just saying that you're going to be happier and you're going to be more engaged in your work when you feel challenged. And so what you need to do to make money and survive, but don't stop just because you've landed something like this is especially true for people who have been laid off. You might find a gap job, right? And I don't mean going to work at the gap. I mean that you're going to have a gap job and that you're going to go back and work at uh, a coffee shop for a few more months. Entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs do this all the time. Like when you are solely responsible for generating your own income and your business has a lull or you're in a period of time where you're just not generating as much revenue as you need to sustain your life, they'll go get a side job. Like they're, they're going to go get a side hustle, something to just kind of like help pay the bills in that moment. And so that's totally okay. But like a lot of people get stuck there and they have a really hard time getting back into positions that challenge them and that help give them that sense of like, I want to say like importance, but it's also like the sense of meaning. That's what ultimately it is. It's how do I find meaning and mattering in my work? It's not just a self-importance, narcissistic type perspective, but it's like, I want to feel valuable, right? Like I want to feel like I'm doing really good work. I want people to recognize that I do really, really good work for them and that I'm someone who's worth investing in and, and I'm someone who's worthy to be in their sessions. So if you do experience a setback in your career, like you get laid off, you get fired um you experience workplace trauma and need to exit you take a sabbatical you take a leave of absence whatever that is this can even if it's unconscious this can feel like a setback and it can be really confusing on how to move forward and move back into the world of work in a way that still makes you feel like you jumped in or like you picked up where you left off and so one way to do this, right, is to like work with a career professional um, to stay engaged. 
like don't stop your job search just because you landed a job, especially if it is just a gap job. You don't need necessarily a full blown coaching session or like package, but treat it more like an accountability moment where you just get to check in with the pro to keep up the momentum, the optimism and the resilience. Like this is something that I actually wish like more people booked with me for candidly. And this isn't me saying like, you know, I I don't know. I I still sometimes like feel weird about like selling my offerings, but like so many people will book like an astrology reading with me and like keep doing that because I love, I love working with you that way. But like sometimes I wish people would like just book with me because they're like, I'm actually just in job search and I feel okay with it. But you know, I just want to be able to talk to someone around like, this is how my interview went. That's like what coaching is, right? It's like an accountability partner. And I want to be with you on that journey. And if it's not with me, then I know a ton of really incredible career coaches that I can refer you out to if I'm not like your flavor or your style, or if I don't have the schedule and booking times that you need. But like, there's so much value into having these accountability partners. And I love being that for people. It's like half an hour, just update me. Where are you at? And let me be your cheerleader. Let me be your hype person. Um, I do that for my friends just naturally because I love them. Um, But like job search and career transitions are really tough. And you know, again, like if you're here for the witchy side of my business, get a tarot reading, get an astrology reading, keep listening to podcast episodes or whatever that is, but like stay engaged. Don't disconnect from your professional development. Don't disconnect from your job search. Don't disconnect from really investing in your career just because you experienced a setback. Don't give up and don't undersell yourself and your value. Okay. Number five, and I'm going to be pretty quick on this one. So number five is you're acting like it's normal to be miserable at work. And similar to number three, when I talk about this, this is some of my most popular content. This is what people love to hear about me. And it makes total sense when you know my chart and my business chart. Um, But you are all acting like it's totally normal to be miserable at work. (laughs) Like what's up with that team? Um, And like, again, like I love a good like work sucks meme. It's one of my favorite lyrics from Blink-182. You know, work sucks. I know. I know. I know it does. Um, I love workplace satire accounts. I love making fun of work. It's fun. Like humor and comedy are a playful balance to sadness, but that's what it is. It's like, we're making fun of how sad and miserable we all are. And this is another thing is that like, we love to shit on and shame capitalism and we love to make jokes about how awful it is working in corporate. But the thing is, is that they have really important parts to play in our society and in our consciousness and where we are as a collective right now. Again, the benefit of capitalism is some of that Aries Capricorn type energy. We get more choice. We get more individual stuff like healthy competition is actually really, really important. Unchecked capitalism is a totally other thing. And I'm not here to talk about capitalism on the podcast, but even like when I was choosing the branding for the corporate coven, I was so scared about this. And I remember talking to Captolia um, through the witch and famous program. And she's just like a fantastic coach. And I could like cry right now thinking about how much value has like come into my life since working with her. And I know that y'all have, I've, I've like brought a lot more people into my community, into my online spaces, thanks to her work. But I remember like asking her directly of like, do you think it's okay for me to brand with the word corporate? Because so many people have major issues with corporate. But ultimately, that's where the majority of the workforce gets their paycheck. Like that's where the majority of people work 
is in corporate environments. And even if you are an entrepreneur, so many really successful entrepreneurs got their start by working in corporate. It's like basic training for entrepreneurship. It's like the playground that you get to be in while you're figuring out what you want to do. And so while I love a good joke and I will be like, y'all send me actually like, I love, I love everyone that I'm connected with online. Like you guys are really like some of the best people and I have so much gratitude for you. I love it when you guys will send me reels or TikToks or jokes around like work because I get it too. Right. But the thing is, is that when we, when we do this exclusively and we don't balance it with talking about the benefits of work and the joy that we experience in career. I mean, like, again, like I'm someone that this is just my lens, but like, I've met some of my best friends through work. You guys, I'm having an emotional day. As I'm saying this, I can feel, I can feel myself like wanting to cry a little bit because of the gratitude that I feel. But like in one summer at one of my jobs, I met two of three, I met three of my best friends and my husband all from this like one job. And it's those connections that I made that have actually like helped me be where I am at work right now. And some of my old coworkers are at the same company that I'm at, even though we're on different teams. Like that's how important work is in our life. It helps us put food on the table, but it also gives us community and it gives us a playground to experience like our soul's calling. It gives us the opportunity to solve problems in really big ways. And we do ourselves a disservice by focusing primarily on the mindset and the perspective that work just sucks, that I'm not meant to work. Like you are absolutely meant to work number one, like you are absolutely meant to work. And I'm probably going to dedicate an entire podcast episode just around like, committing to you all that no more of this belief that like, I just wasn't meant to be here and I just wasn't meant to be working. That's just so far from the truth. Uh, it's, it's just because we don't understand work and we have a really misaligned experience with it, but we were absolutely put here to create value, to solve meaningful problems and to support the community that we live in. And that's what work is. So we need to balance all of the funny jokes that we make around like hating going into the office with acknowledging its value. The other problem with focusing so much on how miserable we are at work is that it begins to feel normal. Like this is one belief that I have always rejected. And that is that everyone hates their job. I, I grew up hearing that like I grew up and there were so many adults that I overheard having conversations around like how awful their boss was, how unhappy they are at work and and all these other things. And that it be, it started to become like this, like, oh, you grow up and you get a job and you're unhappy. Oh, and I was like, no, 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 I don't. I do not believe that. I do not buy into it. Career for me was always something that was light bringing it was joyful it was exciting it was challenging it was ambitious like like i've always just like rejected the idea that you grow up and you have to get a job i've always felt like you grow up and you get to have a job but this is again like my value is always to be really self-sufficient i loved earning my own money i loved making my own choices i loved having my own schedule i loved i like i loved being in service 
But I think that's also where like I've had the benefit of having a mindset that has made it easier for me to explore career and vocation than maybe it has for other people. When you are so stuck in that belief system that like work sucks, you're not meant to work everyone's miserable at work. No one actually wants to be working. Like that's just bullshit. I'm going to have to remember to mark this episode as explicit, Um, but if it is, it's bullshit and it's not the truth and it's not the reality. And we need to stop letting that be the only perspective about work. Again, send me all of the memes about how much it sucks to work. I love them. They're hilarious, but don't let that be the dominant perspective that you consume when it comes to your career. And I and I try to provide balance for that in my content that I create. I'll repost a meme about like how awful it is to like have to go into the office or something like that and making jokes around like hybrid work. But I also try to balance that with talking about the benefit of being in person or the benefit of being at work um, because that's what it's about. It's about like that balance. It's about that harmony. Um. It's not about diminishing the reality that a lot of us have trauma from our workplace, but just because it's common to be unhappy at work doesn't mean that it's normal. And I I need you to commit to shifting this perspective, not just for yourself, but you guys like I have children. Okay, and probably a lot of you have children that are listening or you aspire to have children someday. And if they're not your own babies, you probably have children in your life that you feel some responsibility for to some capacity. But we have children that are growing up and are going to enter the workforce. They're going to work in some capacity because we are all meant to work. We all desire the dignity of work. And our actions are really creating the future that one day my child and my children will enter into. And if you're my age, then we're going to be running these companies that my children are going to be interning at. If you're younger than me, you're going to be the mid-level management that is supervising my child as your intern. Some of you are going to be older than me and maybe you already have kids that are going to be like the direct supervisors and people leaders of my children. (laughs) Like whatever that is, like I am asking you as like a mom, please help me change the world of work. Please help me transform our relationship to work and service Because I don't want future generations to believe that we're here to suffer. I mean, to some extent, maybe we are. It's a whole other conversation in Buddhism, right? But I don't want them to think it's normal to dread growing up. I don't want them to think it's normal to, like, you grow up and then you're miserable, Um, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I think that I will. And I know this is a longer episode. So thank you for staying with me if you're still here. I'm also just feeling like really emotional today as I'm recording this. And so this is coming up for me, but like a big part of my emotional timeline and a big part of my early experiences that have influenced my decision-making because so much of this happens in childhood you know, in my small community that I grew up in, 
I experienced the grief and loss on a personal, but also on a community level when adolescents choose to um, like terminate their life early. I'm trying to be mindful of trigger. I'll put trigger warnings in the, in the show notes that you all know that this is coming up, but um, I've lost people as a teenager and as an adolescent, I had to, you know, say goodbye and I had to grieve and I had to watch people grieve and I had to figure that out. And that was really hard. And when I hear people talk about like growing up sucks and I hate being an adult, um, I just think like that is such a harmful thing to say because you don't know who's listening and you don't know how many people are making decisions about their life based on the belief that nothing good happens when you grow up, that you are now forced to be in these awful jobs with these terrible bosses, that you don't have any choice, that you're never going to make enough money and like all of this stuff. And when we say that, we are potentially impacting people in a way that causes way more harm than we understand and then we recognize. And again, like I have babies, you might have babies, you might have children in your life that you feel responsible for. And I really do feel this like deep sense of responsibility to help them know that it's not normal to be miserable at work and it's also not a guaranteed outcome and that you have the power from where you sit to choose something different, right? It's not normal to be miserable at work and it's also not your fate to be miserable at work. Joy, happiness, contentment, fulfillment, meaning, and purpose are accessible to you and that is one of the most wonderful things about growing up and getting older that I have so much gratitude for. And even if you experience a setback and a challenge, an obstacle and a barrier in your career, it does not change your value and your worth. And it does not mean that you have to go all the way back to square one and diminish your exceptional talents. You owe it to yourself to get your mindset right and start believing that you're worthy of making moves and shifts in your career, even when you are feeling bliss and contentment and gratitude for where you are currently. You owe it to yourself to invest in your own professional development, to be the captain of your own ship, and you owe it to yourself to take accountability for your own sense of financial security to acknowledge the part that your employer plays in that journey, but to recognize that it's your choices and your decisions, your values, and your unconscious beliefs and biases that are either connecting you or preventing you from feeling financial security. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to stop. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going (laughs) to... 
for all of my years being engaged in the world of work, for learning about the world of work, for working as a career counselor, for advising students, for leading teams, for educating leaders, for managing HR functions, these are the most common mistakes that are so easy to make. And when they happen, they hold us back in such profound ways. Some people never move on from it. These are the things I want you to care about. These are the things I want you to pay attention to. I want you to relieve yourself of the stress of whether or not your networking strategy is working for you. I want you to relieve yourself of the stress of whether or not the font you chose to write your resume in is good enough. That stuff is so minor in the big grand scheme of your career and your ability to explore your soul's calling in this lifetime through your career and vocation. These five mistakes that I've listed out for you are the big ones that will not only impact you, but will impact future generations as well. So be a cycle breaker, take time to evaluate what your relationship is to each of these five areas and identify where it would be most meaningful you for you to invest in and start making progress forward. If you would like to work with me, that would just be the coolest. I love I love you. I would love to work with you. Head over to my website, thatwitchfromwork.com and you can check out my updated booking links. If there is um, a service that you are desiring from me and you don't see it as an offering, I implore you to reach out to me, get into my DMs, let me know how I can be of service to you. I have so many things that I'm passionate about and that I'm interested in, but ultimately I do not have this business to serve my own ego. I also don't have this business to sustain my life. And so I get like the liberty and the freedom to really make sure that what I'm offering is a value and a benefit to you and that it's also accessible to you in your current price range. Because again, I want to be sensitive that I know that that's a big thing for people right now. And more than anything, I would encourage you just to connect with me because sometimes in our careers, it can feel really lonely. And I feel that too, even as an extrovert with a really big social network, I still crave connection and soul um, alignment with other people who are like me, who care about their careers, who believe that the world of work can look better tomorrow than it is today, who want to be active players in that process and who feel... Um, very ambitious in what they are here to accomplish in the world. So I'd love to connect with you. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on TikTok. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on threads. You can find me on Twitter, but I'm not there very often, but you know, you could find me. So check out the show notes, head to the link um, in my bio to go to my website, poke around there. And again, I'd love it if you found value in this episode, if you shared it with someone in your life. And while you're there, you can also leave me a rating that really helps me, um, you know, grow and, and expand the podcast, which is really beneficial um, for my business. So I appreciate you and I hope that you found value in this and I will see you in the next episode. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Corporate Coven podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and gained valuable insights into the world of personal and professional alchemy. If you want to stay updated on the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and turn on notifications. I'd also love to connect with you on social media, and you can visit my website, www.thatwitchfromwork.com, to find other ways to connect and work with me. 
I'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics. So please let me know in the comments on this episode what you're interested in. Until next time, keep working your magic and casting spells of success in your career and life.